He's repeatedly denied murdering 30-year-old Kim Wall, but has admitted dismembering her corpse. Oh my goodness. What a horrid phrase to hear at five past eight on this gloriously sunny morning. As the shadows are long. Yes, I will not even repeat the words I've heard. Instead, I'll drive up the hill, away from the school where my daughter is, up a steep hill called Church Hill, where there are words painted into the road saying, slow, slow. Where the chestnut trees are growing green. And the ivy. Grace is the wall. And the rooks fly past. turn the indicator on to tell me or to show I'm turning right and it says no construction traffic to site. And the teepee sits behind the wall and the signpost says Crawford Woods. And the mother-in-law's tongues are down. The Volvo, the Honda, the Vokes. And we are here, Louis. We're back home again. The day is kicking off. Until I left the house to put my dog in the back of the car, I had no idea it was so chilly in Cork. In Glanmire in particular, it is definitely cold. I had to go back into the house to put up, to get a pullover, to put underneath my jacket. And there was I thinking, oh great, of the nine day ahead. The weather gods are severe. What on earth is it that they're trying to teach us? The God of wind, the God of rain, the God of sleet, the God of every machination of temperature. Oh yes, the sun God barely warming up. 25 degrees in Prague. They must have done something in a previous life. That's what it was last Saturday. Here, I dread to think what it is. It certainly feels like about 20 degrees colder. I know I'm going to get no sympathy 
from those of you who are either baking, short of water, perspiring, spending a fortune on air conditioning, or from those of you who are doing what we call in Ireland freezing your B-O-L-L-I-C-K-S off. At least the flashes of sunlight are comforting when I'm sitting in the car. I could, of course, turn the temperature, the internal temperature in the car, up from 19 degrees centigrade. I could do that, but I won't, because that would be to prepare myself poorly for walking in the woods. I'm walking in the woods. I'm walking in the woods. Isn't it lovely to throw in an unexpected piece of song? I know that I love it when other people do it. I'm listening to their voice, fair enough. I'm listening to the ambient sound. And suddenly, out of nowhere, comes an unexpected piece of melody. They don't even have to be good. When you listen to a piece of music, what happens to you? What happens in your body? I'm not talking about out-of-body experiences, now we leave all that aside. But what happens in your body? You hear the sound. Sound travels via stimuli to your brain. They a certain part and then what happens I'll tell you what happens to me what happens to me is I have a place in my brain which I call translation vil because the sound that comes in from outside I translate via this center into another center which is my imagination so let's say you sing a song not only do I hear you singing the song but I translate that song into another version of that song perhaps if you sing fly me to the sky I hear Frank Sinatra. Perhaps I do. I certainly hear more than you. That thought process, that way of being in relation to thinking about unexpected sounds coming in 
that that is a great help to me. It just feels like I've got something there. I've got the fact that the sounds are coming from a different place. And I'm doing something with those sounds. And people go around saying, and I don't know a better word to be honest, uh, they go around saying, you know, there's a creative act by the listener also by the reader people talk about the space between the words the room for associations and memories and journeys to come in because when I hear let's go to San Francisco where the flowers grow very... Anyway, how do I know? That takes me back. But you see, I'm going to San Francisco. I see that golden gate. These days, I'm close, very close to Ray Renati, to Robin Milne, Jennifer Elin to Vicky to Kevin Williams to Alicia Previn to oh help 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 anyway all my friends who live my contacts, my acquaintances, people towards him whom I feel very friendly, who live in California. Because not only is San Francisco, San Francisco and possibly, it certainly isn't, what do they call it, SoCal or SoCal, South California. I know Alicia Previn lives in San Diego, but I include her. Oh, I know, I know, I know. Jacqueline White lives in Huntington Beach. No, lives in Orange County. I think they're really close to each other. Maybe Huntington Beach is in Orange County. Maybe she lives in Fountain Valley. I used to, I stayed a summer in Fountain Valley, worked in a sweet shop in Long Beach. Oh, candy, a candy, not a shop, a candy factory. Yeah, my job was to crack, was to wheel in pallets of chocolate, huge, big, rectangular pieces, industrial size. I seem to remember lifting them was quite an effort and cracking them into a vat, a big circular vat where the chocolate was heated and sucked up by pipes across the floor of the factory and squirted down on to the 
production line along which came pieces of sugar or pieces of candy which needed to be sprayed with chocolate and then and they were all women and then women with what you might call poor blood circulation in other words cold fingers especially chosen because of their cold fingers they would twirl by hand put the twirls by hand on the top of the chocolates uh, those were the days my friend I thought they'd never end those were the days my friend I thought they'd never end I thought my eyes with these anyway merry and faithful eh I imagine most of you, well certainly most of you, but almost all of you are too young to remember that song. Although, although many of those songs from the 1960s have come back in, and I'm pretty uh, surprised that my 12-year-old daughter even knows some of them. Anyway, the old hometown looks the same as I get down from the train and there to meet me to Watergrass Hill. Turn left in one kilometer. I'm going to the woods, a place called Moanbaun. M-O-A-N B-A-U-N And that's where once I get into the wood I'm going to go live on Periscope going to show people what it's like to be in Moonbon Wood. And I'm going to get the satisfaction of people coming onto the scope. Perhaps even people whom I met several times on the scope before. And I'm going to learn stuff like I learned how to pronounce the capital of Russia. See, it's not Moscow, M-O-S-C-O-W, no, no, it's Moskva, Moskva. Okay, it's not much, it's not a big deal, could have found that out by other means, but a person who came on to one of my scopes from Moskva, I asked them, how do you pronounce M-O-S-C-O-W? And they told me, changed my life. I might be able to pass myself off for a Russian one day. Just have to learn a few more words, phrases, paragraphs and novels. Oh, I used to love Russian novels. Okay, I know, I know, they had to be 
translated into English, but if I was to name the best novels I've ever read in my life, The Brothers Karamazov would definitely be there. There's a good chance War and Peace would be there too, although The Brothers would get getting ahead of. So it's Quiet flows the dawn, the dawn flows home to the sea. I remember those fondly. I think it was reading War and Peace that got me to fall in love with the name Natasha. I cannot imagine somebody called Natasha being an unpleasant person. I've met very few Natashas in my life. I sort of wonder if, if I'd had a second daughter, would I have called her Natasha? Well, I wouldn't have had the choice. It would have been would have been between mother and father. But I don't remember thinking of the name Natasha before. I thought of the name Grace. Perhaps I'll get a female dog. Call it Natasha. Here Natasha, Natasha, Tasha, Tasha. It would become, quickly become Tasha. And I'm pretty sure I have met one or two Tashas in my life. I've never had a tiff with a Tasha. Thank goodness. on the side of the road in the hedgerow not masses of it not like as if I would say the place is what's that word festooned in yellow had a good conversation last night about yeah, with some women right when I think about it they were all women about yellow dresses all but one of them thought that the worst color they could ever wear was a yellow dress. One of them said that, much to her surprise, she does have a yellow dress and thinks she looks terrific in it. And I told a story of a time I told a woman, I'm going to buy you a yellow dress. I did. I spent a lot of money. 180 euros reduced from 360 euros on the dress that I knew wouldn't suit her. I thought she'd laugh. Got it as a good joke and I would take the dress back to the shop where I bought it and get my money back. Well, I did take it back to the shop where I bought it and I did get my money back. She didn't think it was a funny joke at all. She thought she just couldn't get it into her head 
well, as far as I was concerned, that I knew it was not a dress that would suit her. And that all I wanted her to do was smile. Smile. And the whole world smiles with you. I can't remember the melody of that. Okay. Back to the woods later on. I'm now going to play you an ongoing report about three girls who were raped by somebody and one of them, they were in a foster home and one of them went to the Irish police uh, some time ago but that did not stop it from happening. Now that decision seems in many ways quite inexplicable and we really would uh, need to get to the bottom of what the thinking was that would, would inform a decision like that. There was a, a stipulation put in place that the, the children should not be left alone with, uh, with, Keith, with Keith Burke, who was ultimately convicted of, of the rapes in this case. But that's an unworkable condition. It's not realistic to suggest that you're, you're never going to have a situation where, where those children will be left alone with him. Um, and so it's clearly an inadequate protective measure. Um, and the, you know, the comparison I would make here would be if you had a situation where a credible allegation of sexual abuse was made in respect of children living in their own family home, uh, how would social services react in that situation? Well, in all likelihood, they would go to the district court and would seek an order to remove the children from the home. Um, but where you have the exact same situation arising in respect of children in a foster home, you have a, 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 what seems to be a carefully considered decision made to leave the children in that home, and that really seems to be quite extraordinary. And it raises questions as well, I suppose, about what level of care and connectivity uh, was operating between the social workers, the social services, and these young girls. Certainly, and this, I think, is, is an, on, an ongoing issue in China. The thing I dislike so much about this is that nobody gets named, no police officer gets named, the people who made the decision belonging to social services are not named nobody is held accountable uh yuck um, uh, visiting the children and inspecting uh the position in that family home then in all likelihood these these issues would have been picked up on a lot earlier but instead what you you get is um a situation where the onus is entirely on the children to come forward and bring the issues to the attention of the authorities connor do you know something it's great to hear a very happy child in the background it is really wonderful but i think it's just getting between yeah. uh what you're trying to tell us and uh the issue at, uh, at hand so yeah. maybe we might try to uh, yeah, uh take I'll, a break and come back no no that's absolutely that's absolutely fine um and uh it's uh particularly on such a such a tragic and, and sordid story to, to hear happy voices uh, and happy children in the background but look we'll leave it there for now we'll try and get back to you on a better line where we can hear you a bit better look we, thanks indeed Connor, for joining us uh, we'll be talking to the head of revenue after this break today with Shona. okay so that is a fragment a shard of life in ireland shard is a good word i think cut uh, shards cut I suppose everybody who lives in wherever they live has disappointments about the systems and the people in the country, in their own locality, 
I've heard huge volumes of criticism from people in the United States about the United States. Just to quote one example, I've also heard volumes of criticism by people in the UK about the way things are done there. So in that sense, Ireland is no different. But I grew up in a country where I was oblivious to any of the violence done to women and to children, but also the violence done to, to men. I, I was aware of income inequality, an extreme income inequality, poverty, but I wasn't aware that clergy from the Roman Catholic Church, quite a lot of them were raping children, assaulting and raping children. I wasn't aware of the amount of abuse of children that was taking place around the country. There were many things I wasn't aware of. I wasn't aware of the number of young men who were committing suicide. So much I wasn't aware of. The island of saints and scholars. Ireland was, I mean, the image that the powers that be in Ireland wanted to project was one of an especially ethically sound, morally admirable people, as opposed to England, den of iniquity, corruption, licentiousness, poverty for the soul, sinners, dangerous place to go, your eternal soul would be at risk. That's one of the reasons why I feel aggrieved. I won't rant about what I think about finding out that three girls were raped and that between them the Irish police and the Irish social services did not stop it. It is one thing to say that they don't know anything about it but once they get a what was described in that radio report a credible report about it an allegation of that degree of seriousness an individual social worker I don't care what position they are in the hierarchy an individual guard and I don't care what position they are in the hierarchy they should do something they should do something easy for me to say I've never been put in that position welcome to Cafe Beba where I'm reading the headline that says girl repeatedly raped as HSE, Health and Service Executive, left her in foster care for four years after complaint. 
It's the and the front page headline: HSE left girl with foster family to be raped again. I do more than talk about stuff that's in the public domain. I do talk about what it's like going to a meeting relevant to Toastmasters, the meeting, a meeting which is not in the public domain and where the things that are being discussed are private. So let me let you in on a secret. The Toastmasters conference that will be taking place in Cork between the 11th and the 13th of May, called Safe Haven 13, to which I hope you'll come. I'm not 100% sure of this, but I think people who are not Toastmasters can even come. Can't be absolutely sure about that, but I do believe it is the case. Yes, there will be a videographer. Yes, there will be a video made. Certain parts of the conference will be videoed. And I'm going to a meeting now. If that police car would slip out of my way or go past me, I'm going to a meeting where the company that's going to make the video film the video, AV3 Media, owned by Michael Lynch. I won't fit in there, I will fit in here. Fantastic, I am thrilled to find a parking place. Anyway, I'm meeting that uh, Michael Lynch, I'm meeting Michael Lynch, and I'm meeting him with another member of the organising team for the conference. Pat Duggan. And we're meeting in Republic of Work in about 10 minutes. If I park here successfully, 20 past 12, I'm going to be on time. And uh, we're going to discuss details. We're, we, the contract has been awarded. That's rather grandiose language. Um, but the contract has been awarded to AB3 Productions. It hasn't needed European-wide tendering because we are a not-for-profit organisation and doesn't receive any public funds, unfortunately. Um, however, between you and me and the gatepost, what I would really love to find a way of doing and can't for the like of me think of how it can be done is to find the sponsorship to make a three-day documentary video which will capture the feel of the conference, tell the story of the conference. This video would be the first ever produced by any Toastmasters conference anywhere in the world. It would also, I believe, assist Cork in any future ambitions it has in relation to Toastmasters International. However, however, the uh, conference does not have the necessary funds to make such a video or to have it made by a proper, very experienced uh, video company. 
or media company. It would be possible for somebody to splice together or even edit a, um, such a video into existence, but it's much uh, more sensible to get it done by a professional company. And that, unfortunately, will cost more money than uh, we can afford. So, if you know, uh, if you have touch, if you're in touch with sponsors who consider that the business of helping people to, the business of communicating well and providing good leadership in society, in civil society, or any other form of society, is uh, desirable, uh, put them in touch with me, please. Well, that was a great little meeting here in the Republic of Work with Michael Lynch from uh, AV3 Media. What a lovely man. A quiet, gentle, soft-spoken man. And it was really good to have Pat Duggan here with me for the meeting. I know Michael Lynch for years, but it was great to have him because he knows uh, Toastmasters terribly well, 20 years in Toastmasters. The club that he helped set up Ten, ten years ago is having its anniversary, ten, ten year anniversary uh, this year, and that's a big deal in Toastmasters terms. And Pat's been to, well, I daren't say innumerable uh, conferences. Pat, can I just ask you, I'm recording this now for people, just say hello, I've just been talking about you, and I've been saying how good it was to have you here, and that you've been in Toastmasters for 20 years, and that you set up a club in Cork called Guardian. Uh, ten years ago, just uh, this is uh, to be part of my own personal podcast, which will be heard by people all around the world. So at least say something while I pack my bag. <laughs> okay. Uh, good. Good afternoon. Uh, Paul has probably exaggerated my uh, commitment to Toastmasters, but I have found it to be a great social outlet, and I've picked up some great communication and leader skills, leadership skills along the way. Fantastic. Thanks a million, Pat. Now, let's go and have some lunch, yeah? Great stuff. The streets of Cork are not paved with gold. The streets of London were always that way, I'm told. Dick Whittington went to London. I went to London. I didn't go to London seeking my fortune. I didn't come to Cork seeking my fortune. I suppose I could twist that a little bit. Twist the meaning of my fortune. And I could define my fortune as finding Finding the treasure that is me. Finding my rainbow's end. Metaphors are great. Metaphors touch. Metaphors cut through. Metaphors disrupt the rational. Metaphors are catalysts for imagination. 
walking along the pavements here, I think of Christopher Robin, who went down to Buckingham Palace. Did he walk on the lines or did he not walk on the lines? That takes me right back into my childhood. How on earth my mother ever was familiar with Christopher Robin and read Christopher Robin went down to Buckingham Palace. How did she ever decide that that was one of the pieces of literature that she wanted to read to me? Was it literature she loved herself and she just used me as an excuse? As a, no, used me as an opportunity? I've often done that with my daughter. Read something to her that I wanted to read, hoping that she would like to have it read to her. Christopher Robin. Winnie the Pooh. What about Winnie the Pooh, the Hundred Acres Wood, Piglet, Eeyore, Rue? Who've I forgotten? You ask me which one I like best, I'll say Eeyore. I'm an Eeyore guy. I guess those of you who have never come across a.a. Milne's Winnie the Pooh. You'll think, oh, he's E.R. That means he's into E.R. the television program. What was it? Uh, the series? All about emergency room anyway. I'm close to, across the road from the City Hall in Cork. And on the lamppost. There's a sign that says, in England, one in five babies are aborted. And underneath it, oh yes, don't bring this to Ireland. Vote no. And underneath that is, stop shaming women. Vote yes. Stop policing my body. Yes. Further down the road, not far from the city hall, is a central police station. In between the two, is a central fire brigade station fire station, I think it might be called. My good friend Rich Roberts, fireman Rich on the internet, student of modern media, lover of Tolkien, Gandalf, <laughs> Sauron, Bilbo Baggins. Oh, yes. 
what a great guy. Well, I'm back in the car now. I think I'll uh, take a rest from talking. Home, Paul, home. Tell? Yeah. Would you like to come down to the kitchen and I'll read you what I've written? <laughs> <laughs>